Happy birthday to you. Yes. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joseph. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Hi, thank you. Thank you. How does it feel to be 60? You swine. I'm 58. <laughs> oh, I feel okay. 60. <laughs> I am actually 58. And I feel young because my friends are older than me. So that's good. <laughs> well, thanks for reminding us. That's great. Well, anyway, have you got anything nice <laughs> planned for today? Uh, well, do you know, it's church tonight, isn't it? Soul Place. So that's happening, uh, which I'm quite looking forward to. We're doing a little review session, which would be fun. And uh, and then the kids are coming for the weekend. We got a weekend of festivities planned, so that'd be lovely. Great, and I imagine as it's Lent anyway, you won't be celebrating in any oh, way. Oh, yeah, heaven forbid! No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody to episode 230 something. Uh, 32! Like written there! It's not difficult! Oh. It's not difficult, but it's overly professional. Uh, 232 <laughs> of the Mid Faith Crisis podcast. My name is Nick Page, and there's Birthday Boy. I thank you. <laughs> Hello, mates. Hello. Well, you know, and you know what I look forward to every year is a lovely card and a present from my dear co host. Hmm. Still waiting, but you know, I look forward to it every year, obviously. Well, let's just see how that goes, because I often think it's it's the thought that counts, and I often think about it. <laughs> Do you? Mm. How would mm. I know? <laughs> Hang on a minute, though. Didn't I send you last year a present? Didn't I send you an inappropriate map of England or something? Was that your birthday, or was that several no, years ago? I don't, I just, or was that just a random thing I that I sent? I think you're going back a long way, to, perhaps to when you liked me. I mean, if you can think that far back... <laughs> Oh, I think I think if people judge whether or not I like them by whether I remember their birthdays, that is that's a very bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, True. happy birthday! It's good of you Thank to record you. today. Thank you. It's great to be. Which here. we're having to do actually because the technology was so awful last night. Anyway. So, yeah, and it yeah. wasn't me for once, listeners. It was Nick in his new home, his temporary home. How's that all going? Well, it's fine. No, it's okay. There's a star mm. over the top, and uh, we had three wise men visit us yesterday, so it's nice. <laughs> Great. It's a shame none of them could fix the Wi-Fi. No, that's right. Well, that star was playing havoc with the with the signal. <laughs> I tell you. Anyway, apart from all that, how are you? Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, don't, I mean, one could one could talk about feeling absolutely knackered, and I'm weary from, you know, the season. I think. Mm. Uh, as as happens at this sort of busiest time of the year, you get to that point where you think, I can't take any more grief, really. Mm. Um, which is an unusual thing for a funeral celebrant to say, I suppose. Thinking about it, I do actually quite like my job, but I've had enough now. So, yes, um, counting down the days, really, till uh, a break, we're going to see my brother, uh, which would be lovely. Um, and that's next Thursday. We'll have a podcast before then, I'm sure. Yes, we will. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm all right. Uh, we uh, had a lovely meal with the wine group, the wine group that started in lockdown. Of course, we can meet now. We're out of lockdown, so that's nice. And had a lovely meal. Everyone had to bring a course. So there's eight courses, but the deal is it has to fit in a, a like a little ramekin dish. 
So we had we had a meatball and spaghetti, and Rachel did some uh, parsnip and apple soup in an espresso cup, and uh, you know, so you just have all these little little courses. They were delicious. That's a fantastic idea. That's like a tasting menu. It is. It there. was a tasting, and I may say the quality was extremely high. And uh, obviously, if it wasn't Lent, we would have had wine. Uh, mm, uh, good. <laughs> and I'll say no more than that. <laughs> Do you know what? The thing was, last week we recorded on Ash Wednesday, didn't we? I think it was something like that. Yeah. I, I, it just With all the move, it completely passed me by. Did you not get a pancake? Oh, no, that was Tuesday, wasn't it? Shrove Tuesday. I got a pancake, but I normally go to the Ash Wednesday service and I, you know... Well, you can bathe yourself in ash any time, can't you? Uh, I yes, mean, does it have, I'll have, yeah. to, have to mark my own forehead with a, with a cross. <laughs> I've also been to the cinema. I uh, saw the new Lily James film. She's always good value, although I'll be honest, it was a little bit disappointed. It's called What's Love Got to Do With It? It's kind of about arranged marriages and everything. And yeah, good, good enough plot for a film, but not particularly good, I don't think. But I, just, I did watch a great film on TV called Dream Horse. Have you heard of that film movie? No, no. Oh, it's great. It's based on a true story set in Wales about this sort of lovely couple who get a horse for the purpose of breeding and uh, and they rear this horse to enter it uh, into races and it, it races in the Welsh National. I'll say no more than that. But it's, it's a great movie. It's based on a true story. And they do that lovely thing at the end of movies, which they do, which is they bring on the actual people. And it's just, just, yeah, that was great. Really good. Mm. Like that. And then working and sleeping and working and sleeping. Repeat. Very dull. There you are. But happy to be here with you. Mm. Obs. Mm. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, you know, uh, living out of suitcases, okay. Um, and uh, we had a nice weekend, though. Went down to Kent uh, to my aunt's 90th birthday. Ah, nice. It's so, good going. Uh, yeah. Saw all that, all that side of the family. I mean, you know, there's lots of people on that side of the family. I don't see them very often. And I think families really ought to do organisational charts. <laughs> yeah, yeah there were so many great grandchildren around and and you know we needed to explain who the heck i was and how i was involved and yeah i i wanted a big chart really yeah so how were you involved in your great grandchildren uh well i haven't got any great grandchildren so i'm not involved with them at all these are somebody else's anyway uh it was nice and oh now of course going down uh going on any journey we popped in to see a church on the way of course you did because, you know, nothing like ruining a lovely journey with a trip to a church. Oh, you're so wrong. And um, <laughs> it, I know you're going to snore, but anyway. Look, I wouldn't dream of it. You, you. Oh. Anyway, so this is this church in Tewdley, a place called Tewdley. Thank you. There it is. There we go. Um, this is a church in, in a place called Tewdley, which is, and it's by a farm, basically. It's out on its own. It's a tiny church. But it's got stained glass windows by the artist Mark Chagall. Now, I don't know if you know okay. Chagall. I, no, not, doesn't ring any bells at the moment. Okay, I'll put lots of links up. But Chagall is the most amazing okay. artist. Okay. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the greats. Right. And okay. um, what happened was that uh, the the local sort of landowner, I think he was Jewish, but he was married to, uh, his wife went to the church. And they lost their daughter, sadly, in a, in a okay. uh, sailing accident. So he asked Chagall to make a new east window for the church. 
and it's the most beautiful thing. And Chagall did it, and then he loved it so much he made windows for all. He made um, stained glass for all the other windows of the church. Oh wow! So you walk in to basically you immerse yourself in a Chagall painting. It's like one of those exhibitions now, isn't it? Because there's a Hockney one in London, isn't there? Yeah. It's exactly like that. It's astonishing. Yeah, and it's fabulous. in this tiny church by a farm. Great. That does actually sound good. I'll send you some pictures. Maybe we can put them up. But they're, yeah. it's it's bathing in light. It's the it's beautiful. It was it was transcendental. So it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. that sounds brilliant. Great. OK. So that's me. Um, so we should get on, really, before more technical troubles visit us. Exactly. Can I just give a quick notice? Oh, we got church notice. We got a church notice, kind of church notice, a related church notice. So you remember um, last year did an evening with Dave Steele and uh, and Joe, and we, we, we just talked about um, same sex and all those sort of things. And Dave and I are quite keen to get this conversation going about theology and, you know, what does a new kind of Christianity for a new world really look like, I guess. And we stole the title Staying Defiantly from the last um, Brian McLaren book. And so we're doing the second one and we're calling it What the Hell is Salvation? I mean, what do we do with hell? I mean, still sort of the church runs often on this idea of, of, you know, ultimately hell, saving people from hell. But what would happen if if we didn't think that was the case anymore? And, and, and what do you do with the judgment passages and hell? Anyway, we're just going to have a discussion about that whole th- whole thing. And that's going to be on April the 25th. I'll send you a link uh, to put up and I'll put the link on our Facebook page. But we'd love you to be a part of it. It's, it'd be easier to, to join. It's totally free. But if you want to make a donation to cover some of our costs, that'd be great. But it's much easier to, to just join it without making a donation. Now, I think last time it was a bit confusing. Um, but this time it will be easier. So we'd love to see you there if, if that's the sort of thing that interests you. Because I don't know about you, but I always remember when I was in ministry, you, you know, you do things like a mums and tods group. And then what would happen is they'd be evaluated once a year. And, and the thing is, how many mums from that mums and tods group then came to an alpha course? Mm. How many of those that went on the alpha course then translated into mums on seats in the church? And so you would evaluate whether that was a worthwhile activity for the church based on whether they were basically getting saved from hell. But if you have a more kingdom theology, why don't can you just do things because they're good and they're right to do and they're a sign of the kingdom of God? Mm. And actually, you don't have to worry so much about the eternal salvation of others. Anyway, that's the conversation we'll be having that night. April the 25th. It's Tuesday. Um, Yeah, I didn't know anything about you doing more stuff with your best friend. Um, no, don't, don't. Why have you got that no, hurt look no, on your face? No, it's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. You No, I mean, you know, I'm not threatened or... You know, worried at all? Um, <laughs> Are we feeling a bit vulnerable at the moment? <laughs> no, I'm fine with it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's great. It's yeah. our dear friend Dave, and it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes, yes, your new best friend. Yeah, yeah. But... Anyway, <laughs> yeah. okay. He's so knowledgeable on things. That's what's fabulous. Oh, oh. <laughs> knew this would happen. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. So that's that, that. We'll put a link up to that uh, yeah. on the website and. Uh, Albeit resentfully, yeah. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Uh, so, should we get on? Should we have got feedback and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we have. Okay, uh, so this one is from someone called Joe. Great name. 
and he says, Dear Joe, he says, I've got to tell you about a new song that we started singing at the therapeutic community which I attend. It includes the lines, Take away my religion, take away my tradition. He said, When this first went up on the big screen at the front, I looked at all the people doing, saying, and hoping all the same things that they've been doing for the last 20 years and thought, What have you got left after your religion and your tradition? Since then, he says, I've been pondering on what Christian faith would look like without religion and tradition. Probably very Christ-like, he says. Wasn't one of his missions to free people from the religion and tradition that they were trapped in. Would you ask Nick to comment on this? Many thanks, Joe. Oh. No, no. Well, obviously, I've got nothing to say on that. So, Nick, would you please comment on that email? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you want to phone Dave Steele quickly? Get him to comment. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit vulnerable, actually. Hello, well, Dave. Hi, Dave. <laughs> oh, it's so good to hear your voice. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think the thing is, we use these terms as if they are negative in and of themselves. Um, you know, Jesus certainly engaged in tradition and, and yeah. he did some traditional things and he wore... Well, he was Jewish. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of tradition, and I think tradition gets a bad rap because I think we and religion gets a bad rap because they become shorthand for um, yeah. just doing the same thing, meaningless repetition, or or you know. But both, it seems to me, are absolutely fundamental to to being a human. So I don't think you can actually have yeah a faith without tradition and and as you've talked about religion the root of religion one of the ideas about the root of religion is is reconnection you know religament yeah absolutely humans will never do without religion we're inherently religious people yeah. so i don't think it's about that i think it's um i think it's only bad if it's misused really and and, and if, if it becomes a sort of stale um thing and a lifeless yeah it, it, so i think that's the thing if if tradition becomes traditionalism yeah you know it just becomes holding to the tradition for the sake of it, then it's yeah. then it's wrong. But if it becomes a way of telling a story and connecting, it's gotta be good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think Joe cares what I think, but for the record, you know, I I, <laughs> Listen, I, I would I, I would agree I with care. you. <laughs> I would agree with you. <laughs> okay. Well done, Joe. Yeah. Well done, Joe. Thank you for that. Thanks for that affirmation. It is my birthday. Okay, and then uh, we've had this one in from Rosie, and she says, "Hi, Joe Nick." It says, "Having started to listening to the latest episodes of your podcast, I decided to go back and start the beginning. I'm now up to about 136, and just wanted to say how helpful I found it to hear you talking about all things that have been issues for me in my mid faith crisis. It was so useful to hear the book recommendations, the contemplative practices you suggested, and the way you dealt with the lockdowns." Crikey, I can't. I can't remember. Remember the way we no. did with the lockdowns? <laughs> I, I don't know. Not really. Blind panic and a lot of drinking, I felt. But anyway. I, well, I, I do wonder whether that was the case anyway. She says, I feel like the universalist approach now makes more sense to me than any other. But I would be interested to know what you make of Hebrews 10 verses 26 to 31 in particular. God seems to reserve his fiercest criticism for those who have known him but rejected him rather than those who have been particularly evil but not professed faith. As a six on the Enneagram, I am fearful a lot of the time and this passage is worrying me. If God is love and the ground of being, how does this passage fit with that? I'd love to know your thoughts. And she doesn't specify just you, so I think I'm allowed to comment on this one <laughs> as well. So that's nice. 
<laughs> so we should have a Bible reading, shouldn't we, if we're going to talk about the passage? Yeah, so so just for the benefit of those listeners, those, shall we say, backslidden listeners who haven't memorised mm. all of Hebrews or indeed the entire Bible, <laughs> let, me just, let me just revise uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. And could you do it in a suitably... Uh, sort of condemnatory voice. I oh, think. yes, gladly. Oh, I haven't, haven't used that since I was a church minister. <laughs> no, that would be great. Thank you. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume <laughs> the enemies of God... Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, and all the people will say, oh, heck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Well, it is one of those passages that, um, that comes up in, in a sort of universalist debate quite a lot. Yes. But frankly, it comes up in lots of debate because, you know, it, it raises a whole host of issues, whether or not you believe in universalism. Um, is it really true that if someone has once followed Christ and then fallen away and then comes back again, that they can't actually, um, you know, do that? Yeah, exactly. It does remind me of that postcard we were threatening to get done as some merch for the podcast, the... Uh, Sorry to hear your backsliding card. I mean, this this might be a good one to have on the reverse side of that. Still, still think we should get those done. Anyway, um, okay. I I would let me kick off with a few things. Yeah, go on. Um, firstly, context. You know, the Hebrews Hebrews ten mm. is about how there's no longer any need for the sacrificial system because Jesus uh, Jesus' death is the sacrifice. Yeah. So I think the context for this is is to say, well, that. That doesn't mean you can then go and do whatever you want, yeah. you know, because the sacrifice is done. You can't just sort of go back and act what you yeah. want. So he's trying to put in some sort of strong warnings about that. Yeah. Um, I think from a from a universalist perspective, I would say one of the key things to understand is that judgment and condemnation are not the same thing. Say more. Well, universalism is not about there's no judgment. It's about there's ultimate mercy. So it's not about that you don't face the consequences of what you've done in some way, shape or form. It's that actually um, it's what the purpose of judgment is. It's about restorative mm. judgment, redemptive judgment. Um, it's not about uh, condemnation, ultimate condemnation. That's mm. what universalists believe. So um, in that sense, it is a fearful thing in a sense, to fall into the hands of the living God, because actually we all know that when you fall into the hands of the living God, you have to deal with some serious stuff. It's not an easy ride. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great perspective. Yeah, thank you. And I think the other thing is uh, there's a great uh, George MacDonald essay uh, right. called uh, Our God is a Consuming Fire, and it's on the idea of God being, being the, you know, the wrathful mm. consuming fire. And what MacDonald argues is that the purpose of the consuming fire 
is is the question is what does it consume does it consume us or does it consume consume all the impurities yeah that are in us yeah it's refining yeah yeah exactly so so I don't think uh, I think there is some problems with Hebrews generally there's lots of issues with Hebrews yeah, definitely. Uh, and and there's issues with this passage but for me the big thing is judgment is not condemnation yeah it's 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 an assessment it's a it's a chance for restoration yeah and gospel is good news and that passage doesn't on the face of it seem like good news does it but i mean i it, to me and this may be wrong so feel free to shout me down here but i think another one of the great conversations that's going on in the bible is how you shift your consciousness from god's an angry wrathful god to god is a god of love mm. and you see you see the prophets and throughout the old testament this wrestling with this radically new image you see the debate going on in acts you know and and the letters of paul with people saying you cannot start preaching grace people will do whatever they like you know we've got to control people we've got to make them realize that god's angry with them when they do wrong mm. and 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 paul was preaching this radically different um message and then of course jesus just you know willy-nilly including everyone <laughs> forgiving everyone like there's no tomorrow um so so you I, to me this passage is part of that conversation of people who've been brought up in this tradition of god's angry and sin needs atoning for and sin is terrible and god's wrathful and angry and to they're wrestling with it so that's how i see you know well large chunks of hebrews actually as coming to terms with the new revelation of God as found in Jesus. And I think people struggle with it. I think I still struggle with it, if I'm honest. Mm. Grace is a hard thing to get your head around of it because most of us, you know, haven't quite received it. Love is normally quite conditional. In in many, I want to say, most of our relationships. And we're trying to get our head around something we often struggle to experience and to understand which is a never-ending supply of grace mm. so yeah that's how i see that passage fitting in but it is it does seem on the face of it unpalatable well again it's all about the sort of language and, and how you interpret that uh, and i think you have to look at it in, in as i said in the whole context um i think equally jesus said some things about judgment that are tricky at points and he said things about that sort of unforgivable sin which people have been wrestling with for for, mm. for you know millennia really so uh, i don't think i think ultimately that's going to be a mystery but i always hold to these two things that god is a god of love and he's also a god of judgment and 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 that judgment will be exercised in love and in the in the purpose of ultimate sort of mercy and redemption Exactly. And also you have to, you know, when Jesus does say the odd really rough thing, you have to, you have to hold it alongside everything else. Exactly. Yeah. That's being revealed. And who knows, he might have just been having a joke. Peter probably forgot his birthday and he just went, you know, Peter, the, unforg the, 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 the unforgivable sin. <laughs> and, and he probably said, but is it really the 25th of December? And Jesus would have said, don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> just what a birthday. Okay. Right. You're a bit worried about this whole birthday thing, aren't you? I, I... No, it doesn't matter. No, it's fine. No, I've got a lovely card from Dave, and that's the main thing. <laughs> no, I didn't, actually. <laughs> no, well, there <laughs> of course we go. I didn't. <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is you may be more surprised than you think. Okay. 
I mean, you may not. It's, <laughs> no, a, it's exactly. an open question, isn't it? You know. <laughs> okay. Well, look, let's let's do one more yeah. one more bit of feedback because I think this this email I'm going to read, and I'm only going to read part of it. It was actually quite a long email, but I'll keep it anonymous because this is from a Church of England ordinand, and um, she says this. Uh, finished with this. Um, basically, she'd been charting her mid-faith crisis through through college and through the conversations and the debates there and through being in an evangelical church and now being placed firmly in an evangelical church. She said this, mm. I'd love to be in a church where I can ask questions, prompt questions and be honest about where I'm at. But I know that's not going to be impossible until I'm an incumbent. But will it even be possible then? when I have a heart to reach out to people and enable them to meet Jesus, but new believers seem to need certainty. I suppose the question I'm living at the moment is, how can I be me and lead other people at the same time in the evangelical, charismatic, um, brackets, conservative church that I'm in? So she says, so I apologise for the long email and the sadness and frustration in it. I don't know how much is shareable or even if there's anything it, which would be of interest to anyone else. Well, there is actually. Uh, but essentially, I feel like I don't really belong anywhere apart from as part of the MFC community, which is an amazing community to be part of. Thank you both for starting it. Please don't stop anytime soon. So, so there we have this, you know, another kind of should I stay or should I go kind of. And we do get a lot of emails on this and we do get a lot of mm. people saying that how can I experience community? And also thank you for all of those who do feel a measure of experiencing uh, community here. So um, let's respond to this. But then I thought I'd like to ask you some questions, Nick Page. Mm about your journey th through mid-faith crisis and how you have stayed seemingly quite contentedly within an established church uh, community. Because yeah. yeah, my, sure, sure. my story is different to yours. And I'm not, I, mean, I yeah. think people know my story, but I'm, I, I would like to push a bit deeper into yours, if that's all right with you. Sure. Well, before we do that, I'm going to ask you just a quick question about the email. Mm. Because there's a point in the email where she talks about, um, you know, how is it, sort of possible to operate on the mid-faith crisis bit when new believers need need seem to be need certainty yeah and i think as you often say in the one in the stages of faith that's it you can't necessarily do away with that new believers do yeah. need yeah a bit of certainty and so it's not wrong to give them a bit of certainty i think in that sense would that be fair to say i i absolutely i think it's essential for the stages of faith and we, we you know we've often talked about this just like the stages of development for a child a child does not need gray they need black and white and the rule is do not go out in the road that's a perfectly great rule mm. for a two and a half year old you know that that that'll suit them for that stage of life bit useless when you're a teenager because you can't ever go anywhere but it's perfectly adequate so i think that's one of the ways of knowing you're th through your you're making progress through your mid-faith crisis is when you feel a bit more relaxed about that you're not angry about it and you you have somehow accepted that it's part of the journey and also recognizing with all humility you were like that once so you don't need to get angry with it and other people who were like you were you know 20 30 years ago so um yeah i i don't know and i don't know how you resolve that i mean that's 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 one of the million dollar questions i think that is being asked here you know how do you contain a church community with everyone at different stages of faith when the people in the early stages think you're an actual heretic if you dare question the fundamentals yes, yes. of the rules so it, it's it's one of the ongoing questions i think 
in face. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Do you want to say any more about the email or, or can I start asking you some questions? No, I suppose the only thing I would say is that, you know, it, I, it's always long term work when you're when you're training for something and you know that it could be done differently. Um, you know, I remember teaching years ago at Spurgeon's, actually, it was when you were there mm. and I went to teach on creativity and idea generation, all kinds of stuff like that and storytelling and bits of it. And and I remember uh, one of the guys there saying, you know, all this sounds great, all these inventive ways to do church, but my minister will not let me do them. Yeah. And yeah. what can I do about that? And I said, well, I think really the only thing you can ever do about it is don't turn into that minister. You know, don't be that person. So, you know, to this person, I would say that the, you will find a way to incorporate sort of the uh, the ability to to wrestle with these questions as a community if you remain committed to it you might not get that opportunity at first because you are uh, you know you're a, you're a curer yeah. and you're not going to get that so you've got to do that but but you'll find a way it'll take time it's long-term work yeah really. and and i think that one of the ways brian mclaren answered that in his book faith beyond doubt he said when you're teaching the different stages and so you're dealing with the new people who need certainty just tell them by the way there is going to come a stage when when there's there's more you know, mm. the, 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 there's time for more. Uh, n- now we're dealing with the, the general laws and everything. But as we shall see from the life of Jesus later on, he knew when to break the rules. And and so there is there's there's a constant learning experience that is lifelong. And he was encouraging us just to just to put down those markers for people all the way along. And and for people now today, just to realise that we haven't arrived anywhere yet. There's going to be more. God's going to reveal more to us about Mm. the nature of who we are and the divine plan and all that stuff yeah so what i wanted to ask you about was so so for people who don't know uh you currently reside in the lovely well you used to reside i should say in the lovely village of Ensham, where you've been for a while and mm. you part the church there and and we've done this sort of journey together mine led me out of sort of institutional church you have happily is that the right word stayed within this fold of an anglican church mm. um so i wanted to ask you some questions about that what firstly what have been the struggles for you as you have remained yeah um well i think they're they're similar to what most people's struggles are in churches is that, that you you get a bit bored really sometimes with the way things have been done it's, it yeah. kind of takes us a bit back to that first sort yeah. of uh, one of those earlier emails about tradition and and yeah and yes indeed yeah from the, um yeah the, i think i've always said that i think when you've been a christian for about 10 or 15 years you've probably heard all the sermons you're ever going to hear yeah <laughs> so the format of that the sermon format and all that kind of stuff is is it can be it can be wonderful but it can also be quite boring so there's a sense of of sort of boredom with it um those the, the and then yes of course you hear things you hear people preach things occasionally that, that you don't agree with yeah so how do you how do you cope when the leader there has has vastly different theology for that of your own so so for example you may be a bit of a universalist mm. and then you hear this hellfire and damnation sermon I'm not sure mm. whether that happened to you or not, but how do you cope when the leader's got a very different theology to you and how, how do you cope with honouring that as well? 
Well, actually, I have to say I haven't had recently to cope with that because I don't feel that the 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 incumbent where I've been has a sort of massively different theology. I'm sure we differ on on something. Yeah, well, I know we do. But but you know that's not been a problem. It was a problem maybe a few vicars ago when we had a much more sort of conservative evangelical in place. And um, how do I cope? Well, I think you just have to look at the community. You have to think, well, what's the good that's happening here? Let's look for the good that's here. Let's look for the opportunities. Let's look at the... That's a good question. Yeah. Let's look for, for what's positive about all this. The fact is you're never going to get somebody who who is exactly thinks exactly the same as you. Mm. Um, and this is actually one of the problems with the sort of evangelical churches that it keeps mm. splintering because... You know, people want ultimate orthodoxy. They want everybody to believe the same thing, and it gets down to these infinitesimal little details. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. that we're splitting off from you now because of. Yeah. Um, so, so I think I've always tried to take the bigger picture and say, what is this? Great. What is this community about? How are we nourishing one another? What is the tradition that that really uh, helps me? And you know, basically, sermons are going to come and go. You know, stuff's yeah. going to come and go. Teaching, teaching changes all the time, actually, and um, it just does it a bit slowly, but it does change. Um, so I think it's it's the community. Can I still be part of this community, really? Yeah, and there's something about learning to deal with your own anger when mm, oh, yeah. I think there as well. You know, when when you do hear something, you just think, well, that's not very Christ-like what's being preached here. How do you cope with the vacuous song words? <laughs> Well, you know how I cope with it. Yeah, you write a book well about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that what you don't want to do is you don't want to be, what's the phrase, a dog in a manger. You don't want to just, you know, you, you're, not enjo- you're not enjoying yourself, but you're stopping everybody else enjoying themselves at the same time as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to learn, relearn what you learned at school, which is that sometimes you have to join in. And sometimes you have to play yeah. nicely with the other kids. And, uh, you, you know, <laughs> um, so I don't want to, you know, there have been times when people have sort of looked at me, they've chosen a hymn or they've chosen a, 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 a song and they've maybe been a bit fearful of what I've thought about it. And I really don't want to be in that position. <laughs> I'm not here to judge their, their yeah. song choices. I am here to judge the uh, ability of the person who wrote it and their idiocy. But that's a different <laughs> issue. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that if I was in a church where uh, I felt there was no scope for alternative views, mm. then I would find that a lot harder. But but that's not the case, and never been the case uh, in 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 my church. So that's yeah. good. And generally, I have to say, actually, in the Anglican Church, we we handle things a little bit better than sometimes in some of the more uh, uh, non-conformist denominations. In that. Because the Anglican Church is in of itself a broad church. It's got all these different strands to it anyway. Yeah. yeah. And and do you, do you think these things you're espousing, say you still had that vicar from three vicars ago, or whatever, however many it was, we don't want it no. to be identified, or her. But uh, say you still had that vicar. Um, do you think these attitudes would have been able to carry you through still to this point today? Do you think you'd have been able to stay in there and go, do you know what? It doesn't matter. The community is what's really important here. And even if I disagree with what they're do- saying, you know, do you think do you think you could have hu- dug deep enough to do that? Well, I think one of the interesting things about that was that actually it was he who changed. Um, 
uh, he was, uh, you know, a conservative evangelical, didn't believe in women uh, ministers, women vicars, women priests. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But actually was aware that most of the congregation, the vast majority of them, didn't hold those same views at all. And so actually allowed, you know, allowed that to happen was, was you know, yeah. uh, it gave space for, for uh, women preachers and teachers and leaders and said to me once that, you know, I said, it's not it's not what I would want, but I don't want to stand in the way of other people. So he made uh, a concession. Right. So there. that was really mature. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't and I don't know whether he's in the same uh, space now, whether he's moved on that. Um so I know there are people in the church, uh, I'm sure there are people in the church who hold hold to that line, but I don't think anyone's ever come down and gone, no, this is the way it should be. That would be a harder problem, I think. That would be more difficult and, and you know, we would have to think about that. So so to me, it's, it is, is the community a place where I am able to sort of see the kingdom of God at work? Is it a place where we can actually hold these different opinions? Is it a place that actually can rise above theological um, debate to show love to one another and forgiveness and uh, all that? Um, mm. If that's the case, then I think that's that's a pretty good place to be. And and I suppose the other thing is that I've discovered um, increasingly, again, this harks back to the early email, a, a, an absolute joy and delight in the traditional stuff. You know, in those rhythms yes, of the sure. church. Yes, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think that takes you over and above. We've, you know, because because the, the rhythms of the church, the, the festivals, they're not actually tied to particular doctrinal points of view. You know, yeah, Easter sure. is Easter is Easter, whether or not you believe in yeah, yeah. a penal yeah, substitutionary yeah, sure. atonement or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that kind of thing actually helps you keep engaged with the church over and above the, the 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 particular issues that you've got, yeah. So that would be it. But it's always long term, you know. It's always that you've got to, you're in there for the long long term, really. Yeah, and and lastly, because often you know I reply to these emails, people saying should I stay or should I go and everything, and I say, look, no no guilt here. Just just let's just take all the guilt and anger away. It really depends on you. Absolutely, it, it, it depends on you. Can can you cope with it? If it's if you're going to church and it's making you angry all the time, I think probably the smartest thing to do is to withdraw for at least for a season, if not permanently. Mm. But if you're able to go with a with with a sort of attitude that goes, do you know, I know I'm going to have to suspend it here, but actually I'm here for others and I'm here to serve, and I, and and actually. I can get teaching that I need from podcasts and elsewhere and I can do this, but actually this is a rhythm that I want to keep. Then then keep going sort of thing. So I, I wonder what for you have been the attitudes that you're consciously trying to inhabit, you know, as you as you remain in church what's what's important for you now you've questioned everything now you've got so many thoughts about song lyrics and sermons <laughs> and evolving views on hell and on you know there's sort of what were considered you know untouchable doctrines of the church mm. what's been the attitude that's meant actually you can you can remain i think firstly um if a community is doing you harm yeah actual harm then you need to get out actually 
yes, I think you need to match. So thank so, you. So yeah. I, I don't think going to church and hearing something you don't agree with is necessarily then do you much harm. Um, no. But if 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 there's a sort of and I know I know a lot of our uh, we get a lot of emails from people who have been in places that really border on spiritual abuse and that kind of stuff and that, that you need to get out of those because that's a, that's not a good relationship absolutely no the second thing is that church is not a consumer commodity i don't go to mm. it just for what i can get out of it yes yeah yeah that's helpful um, and yeah. i think you meet a lot of people who or have done over the years who who treat church like a washing machine you know if it's not serving their needs they'll buy a new one they'll go to another place yeah um, so I'm always in my well, I'm not always, sadly, but in my best moments, I'm trying to think, what can I give to the church? Yeah. And, and that is it, that's also informed the way I've taught in the church, because I've not actually taught on things that I believe that I think that other people might not. You know, I've tried not to be divisive mm. like that. You always try and think, what can I how can I bring people together? How can I help people? And I think actually we have a really good church that does that. So, you know, we're, we're fortunate that way. I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the certainly the leadership does that as well. So mm. so I think it's the attitude you go into it that having said that, there's got to be something in there. You've got to have some moments of, of, of experience. You can't just be kind of going there as a kind of, you know, community service thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that happens because you turn up. One of the secrets of life is to turn up, isn't it? Really, you just, you, you don't know what you're going to expect. You'll never have an epiph, will you, unless you go to the pier. If you don't go to the pier... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't go to the pier, there'll be no epiph. No, they, <laughs> there's nothing there. So, so... Uh, I do. I go every Sunday. I don't go to every Sunday, but I turn up and when I can, and yeah. and I think that's that's really important. And 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 we've talked about it recently, haven't we? That don't look at church as the only source of your spiritual nourishment. Yes, exactly. You know, there are other sources. Yeah. So I think it's just sort of reframing it, really. Um, and who knows? We're, we're moving, and I don't know the church where we're moving to, so I don't know whether I'll be struggling with this in the future. And it's interesting. I mean, you know, even even talking about that, you know, abuse, get out, and everything. It sort of reminds me of conversations I've had with people about should they divorce or not, you know. And it's you can't give a can't blanche no, rule no. to it, can you? You know, where there's when it's all one sided, when there's no love being reciprocated, when there's no, and some people choose to stay and some people choose to leave, and I don't. I wouldn't like to say who's right or who's wrong. I don't think there is a right or wrong there. But Rachel and I were reflecting this morning because Rachel took me for a birthday breakfast because she remembered my birthday, by the way. Um, and um... I remembered. <laughs> no, you did. You Only did. because yeah. I think you put it in my you calendar. Did. I'm not sure. I don't know how it got there. <laughs> I think I probably have. But we were just saying how much we still like each other. And that, that's quite something now we're 58 and 60. <laughs> and uh, But also I think we've realised... You know, as we've grown and matured as people, you know, we perhaps have, you know, we, we understand that, you know, a marriage is more than two people. We need a community. Yes. We need yes. friends. We need friends that we have together as a couple, but also individual friends on our own that bring life and energise us as individuals. And that then energises our marriage. You can't be all things to everyone, just like the church can't be everything to you, uh, as you rightly say, you know, you get you get your teaching perhaps from other places and that's not being unfaithful. <laughs> I agree. And I, I, I think we underestimate always how encouraging it is for others just to see us as, you know, I think I'm not saying me particularly, I'm saying all of yeah. us, you know, out there when you go. I think 
sometimes people take it in the wrong way. Sometimes people say, "Oh, well, you know, he's 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 not really backsliding or whatever. He he's here." Well, you know, that's a dangerous thing. You don't, you know, it doesn't mean total acceptance of everything if you turn up to that something. But I think people, you know, are encouraged by others' uh, friendship and presence always. And so never underestimate that. Never underestimate the influence and the the joy and the encouragement you can bring over a cup of coffee. And the consolation yeah. sometimes. And the, just the listening to somebody. That's really important. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Bless you, mate. I appreciate that. I think hopefully people will find that helpful and interesting. But... Um, we should probably finish, not least because I've got to go to work. You have, <laughs> and and you've got a cake to to sort of make <laughs> yourself, I imagine. Anyway, um, yes. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Um, yeah, thanks. I, I think we'll be back with you next week. Um, yeah, definitely. But uh, after that, there may be more sporadic service because uh, Joe is heading off to sunnier climes. I am. Yes. Well, I was just going to say, I'm actually a missionary because I'm going to be speaking in the church. Out there. So, I mean, really, it's not it's not a holiday at all. And I quite often get roped into that. overseas speaking. I'm continuing my international speaking <laughs> yeah. career. <laughs> yeah, I once claimed that because I did something on the Isle of Wight. Yeah. And, and listen, I want to say to everyone, thank you so much for the emails. I really appreciate it. And don't read them all out. Thank you to anyone who says words like thank you this mfc is important to us and feels like community that that really encourages us to keep going so it's your own fault we're still here basically is what i'm saying but thank you everyone and thank you everyone who makes a little donation to the podcast regularly it's great we really appreciate that so much uh yes so we will see you in a, in a week's time yes we'll see you then and don't forget god loves you and there's nothing you can do about it